Hey, this is Philip Craig here. I'm the pastor of Aria Church. This is our podcast. I want to thank you for joining us today. I hope this empowers you. I hope it fuels your faith and I hope it impacts your life. Enjoy the message. Um, if you're maybe here for the first time or, or, or maybe haven't been tracking with our series, we're in the middle of, of a series called An Inside Job. It's an inside job. And really what that's kind of talking about in, in basic um, is so often in life we focus outward. We try to find answers outside. But Jesus actually came to establish his rule and reign on the inside. And so, so often we can say, I have a bad day because it's raining, as if the rain is telling you how to see your day. Um, and so it's so important that we understand that God has designed us to take the control on the inside, to have lenses and filters of faith as we go through our day-to-day life. I just want to, we're going to catch up and, and just continue on from last week. So it's going to be like kind of two messages tonight. Um, we're going to finish off last week's and we're going to start uh, a fresh message this week. So uh, there was too much good information here. I didn't want to just throw, just kind of bypass it. I really think it can help you. Um, we've been talking about anxiety last week and, and I'm about to touch on just social anxiety and 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 maybe some, some things that might help you to deal with some of that, that um, in a practical way. And so anxiety is connected to wanting to really be loved and feel valued. And everyone in here wants that, whether you admit to it or not. The Bible says very clearly in, in, in Philippians 4 and 6, do not be anxious for, any, for anything. It didn't say do not be anxious if you feel like not being anxious. It, it's, it's interesting, it just says do not. As if it's nearly like a command, just don't. As if we have the ability to control and so that's what we've been kind of talking about through this series, that actually you do have the ability to believe what you want. You've got free will, and it's your decision, really. But a big problem that I find even within myself is that I didn't know that I, had the to- that I actually could do something about it. I didn't know that I could actually intervene and intercept some of those thoughts and say, no, that's not okay, that's not who I am, and that's- I'm not going to panic about this. And I'm not going to make a mountain out of a molehill. I'm going to stop you right there. And, and I'm going to connect to stability, which is God is our rock. Stability. We stand on a rock that's immovable, that never moves. And so that's where I start. And, and that's where our mental health should start. Um, it says, do not be anxious for anything. But in every situation, this is talking about everyday life. This is practical. Um, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And if you want to hear more about that, you can listen to last week's podcast. But we kind of picked up at this point where we see a, a picture of two dogs. And this is the kind of reality. Okay, you might see a little puppy, but because of maybe a bad experience, a wound as we would call it, this is what your, your, your feelings tell you. Run. You're in danger. But the, in reality, it's still just a pup, but you're starting to picture that pup for all, it, what if it grows these teeth, and what if it grows up real quick and gets strong and overpowers me? And we start to create a story that isn't reality, but, but because of our experience, our beliefs shift and our thinking styles change. And so uh, we talked about anticipatory anxiety. Um, there's a before, during, and after. And often before, that's where a lot of the damage is done because before you're asked to maybe do something you're worried about, we give the example of getting on stage. You've never done it before. 
So sometimes when you, when you anticipate in a negative way, you make all these stories, I'm going to fall over the step, I'm going to stumble over my words, everyone's going to be looking at me. You make all these stories up that haven't, haven't even happened yet, but you make them up anyhow. Uh, and you come f with a heightened anxiety, which then, which then messes with you when you actually get to the task that you need to do. And so there's a before, during, and after, and how you re-evaluate re is important too. But really, with, with healthy anxiety, anxiety is there for a reason, for if there is something that you should be scared of, that in real life then, it's there to protect you. So the next slide is really what that should look like. So before, during, and after should really be just up and down. It's, there should, it's normal to have heightened anxiety in situations that we're not used to. A little bit of fear, that's okay. Uh, especially if you're about to walk across a, a busy highway, you should definitely have anxiety and fear. It's just not okay if it's holding you back from God's purposes and plans in your life. If you're getting anxiety and it's stopping you from ministering to someone, it's stopping you from pursuing the dream that God has put in your heart, then we've got to be able to overcome that with trusting God foundationally, but also with practical tools in order to overcome. So it should be a case of, yeah, I felt anxiety, but in the grand scheme of things, it wasn't as bad as what I admitted out to be, and I'm okay, and I can get back at it and keep doing it, and usually that gets better. And what I would say to you right now is whatever you're good at or confident at, there's no anxiety within you. Whatever you're confident at, you're not anxious about. Your talents, where you're talented, there's not usually anxiety because um, you're confident. You see, faith is the confidence of things that you haven't yet seen, but you're believing, I can do that. And so that's the beauty about faith. God has called us to be creatures of faith, filled with faith, trusting in God, not fearing man. Can I get an amen? amen. And so social anxiety is kind of much of the same thing, but I'm going to go into a little bit more detail here real quick, just to finish this off. So, so social anxiety is essentially fear of being judged or evaluated by other people. But, but I've got, uh, actually in Galatians 1, it says this, obviously I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but if God, if pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. So you see the beauty of when you surrender your life to Jesus, you're saying that I no longer make it a priority to please people. I now, my priority is now to please God. I've died to the fleshly instincts. That's my identity. And so because of that, I'm not going to let what people think. I've decided to believe that, yes, you mightn't like me, but if I feel it's what God wants me to do, I'm going to do it anyhow. I can't let that anxiety take rule and reign over my life because I've bowed the knee to Jesus. Um, and, and with that comes freedom. With that, you begin to, to, to disarm those anxious thoughts. Um, and it's beautiful, we've got a, actually a life story next week of a, of a young man, great young man, Sam, um, who came in here and he literally couldn't come into a, a room like this. He came to a connect group first and, and then we convinced him by saying, could he do the lights? <laughs> just anything, you like computers? Okay, you, we've got a light uh, computer, I'd love you to just play about with it for an hour, is that okay? And he came and now he's more or less running the service <laughs> a year later. So we've got a life story coming next week to celebrate and, and uh, you know, what God's done in his life, but also to encourage us that, that they're, they're ca we can see a victory. <laughs> you don't have to just stay stuck, static. That's what the enemy would want. 
but we see a victory in faith. We have confidence in faith. It's not, it's not just this thing or a good idea, it's real. There's, we people conquer their fears. And he's a living testimony of that. And so here, here's the, the question here. Do you think social anxiety is a real thing? What if I said it's not? Because if social anxiety is a real thing and it's attached to you thinking what other people think of you and that's really the core and the root of it, well, here's, here's, here's a thought. You don't know what people think of you. Somebody might, if you meet a people pleaser, they'll tell you they love you, but they might actually hate you. <laughs> and whenever I smiled at someone, just like a wee fake smile, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's dead on. But really underneath it, you're like, go away, I don't actually like you. Is anyone going to be honest for a second? Or maybe I just don't connect, or our personalities clash. Don't nudge the person beside you and say, that's you. But, but if we're being honest, what, what happens is we think that we know what people think, but you don't. So if we don't know what people think and don't know what's going in within the head and the heart of every, you know, people sitting beside you, if we don't truly know what goes on there, only God knows that, then social anxiety is not real. <laughs> social anxiety is only what you think people are thinking. It's connected to, to, to what you think people perceive, but you don't know, only God knows. Actually, some people don't even know what they think themselves. Is anyone with me? <laughs> Don't put your hand up. And, and so, if we start to think this way, we, we, we got to realize nobody can force you to feel anxious. It's only if you perceive them to believe something or, or receive something that they've said that makes you feel unworthy, but only, it's only going to make you feel unworthy if you put your trust in them instead of putting your trust and foundation in God. And, and so, here, here's a few things that that can happen to us. And listen, I struggle, I've struggled with these things in different areas too, but we're in process. I'm trying to give you tools to take the reins back. I'm taking the reins back. I'm in process. It takes time. There's no pressure, but it's possible. So, so some things that, that might cause you to have toxic, uh, maybe relationships with people because of social anxiety, uh, symptom reinforcing relationships. Well, what does that mean? That means somebody that you hide behind. And here's the problem with somebody that you hide behind. Um, I remember one of uh, my friends was telling me about how when he put, um, he used to live a crazy lifestyle on the tables every weekend, just partying it up at the bars, all that kind of stuff. And then, then he decided to make the best decision of his life and, and put Jesus first. And he says, Phil, listen, when I done this, I became a better friend. I became a better father. Yeah, I, I became a better worker because I'm not hung over on a Monday. And he says, it's interesting because I became a better person. I was more available there for my friends, but the friends that I partied with actually stopped talking to me and I couldn't understand because surely I can offer you actually, instead of just slurred words, I can offer you genuine heartfelt words to build you up. I'm a better person. I, I, I'm going to be better for you, but they didn't want it because they preferred him in his mess. They, they wanted him stuck. They, 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 they didn't want him to get out of the pit. You see, that, that can be the way social anxiety works too. We can hide behind people. Maybe you're hiding behind a strong person, but that strong person likes you hiding behind them because it makes them feel important and they're feeling loved. And, and the problem is if you start to get confident, guess, guess who's biting? 
Yes, he doesn't want you to get confident. It's a toxic relationship. Two, taking too much responsibility for others' emotions. Listen, you can't be responsible for other people's emotions. It's not your job to make people happy. Listen, that's that's why we've got to have a foundation in God. Three, placing excessive responsibility for your emotions on other people. That's what we call codependent. You're dependent on a person, a human being that is flawed and perfect to make you happy. That's not okay. You're designed to be an individual. You don't need to do anything before you're valuable and you're loved. Nothing. And that's the power of believing what God says about you despite what anyone else does. An audience of one. So here's a few quick thinking styles before we move on. And and some of you are going to be able to relate. I know I can. So so here's a few thinking styles which affect how we see different situations and scenarios. So the first one is negative. Always focusing on bad things. Assuming things won't go well. Glass is always half full. this This goes hand in hand with social anxiety because of how you think you've trained yourself. It might have, might have taken years, but you've just in this bad habit. Well, why did you end up with that thinking style? It could be your family. It could be your friends. It could be who you're hanging around with. You just developed it over time. Secondly, the brooding style. When you get rejected, you don't just feel rejected, and then it passes. You keep bringing it up. You know, it's not just this, the anxiety goes up and down. You just keep bringing it up. I can't believe they said that. I can't believe it. I can't believe this is happening. I can't believe they've done that. I can't believe it happens. I can't believe they're doing that. Guess what you said the next day? I can't believe it's happening. I can't believe they've done that. Brooding over and over. Let it go. Let it go. That's, that was off chain, wasn't it? Let it go. Three, the paranoid style. Think people, you always think people are using you, you fear, you fear being betrayed, you find it hard to forgive, you worry about someone cheating on you, you find it hard to confide in people, examine people's remarks, in case it's an insult underlined, so you actually look for insults. You've got the laser focus, you're trying to make an insult if you can, because that you're expecting it. Paranoid, black and white style, you see things either as success or failure, there's no in between. Uh, you have an opinion about everything. You think about absolute terms, love or hate. That's it. There's no kind of, kind of, we're kind of friends a little bit. It's either I love you or I hate you. Um, you know what you like and what you don't. There's no middle ground. The catastrophe, uh, catastroph- how do you say that? Catastrophic. I, had, I got that this morning. Catastrophic style. You're, you're very emotional very quickly. You zoom, zoom in on the worst case scenario. It's a disaster. I've been caught saying that a few times about mohills. Find yourself in a state over a situation. Lose perspective quickly. Dramatic language. Disaster. No emotional middle ground. You make should have statements. And another question you could ask yourself is, do my parents do this too? Um, The impulsive style. Act immediately on, um, on the moment on thoughts and feelings, overeating, overspending, drinking, gambling, self-harming? Do you find it hard to think about long-term consequences? Uh, Do you feel like uh, you you have to buy things straight away with no planning? Impulsive. Seven, the perfectionist, do you worry about getting things wrong? 
Uh, do you compare yourself to others? If you don't achieve a goal, do you really get annoyed and you find it hard to let go? Do, do you thoroughly check through your work and make sure there's no mistakes? Listen, some of these things aren't bad. It's just when they're off balance. Um, do partners or friends not live up to your standards? You'll, you'll never be able to love someone and give them love because they're never just enough. And why? Because you don't see yourself as just enough. Eight, the hypervigilant style. Are you aware of everyone's reactions? You're always assessing every move within the corridor. You're like, every thought, you're, you're trying to work out what was that look, what was that thought, what, was, what did they truly mean by that text message? <laughs> Is anyone relating at all? And lastly, the learned helplessness style. Do you tend to give up quickly? Do you believe your anxieties are changeable? You probably don't if you're, you have this style of thinking. Do you frequently say, I can't or it won't work? Do you often feel powerless? Do you find it hard to motivate yourself to actually start a task or goal? Are you lethargic? Um, it, is really, it is rare for you to take action. When something goes wrong, you tend to say, I knew that would happen. Or typical. Okay, that's a, a part of the social anxiety uh, series finished. So we're going we're gonna to move on into today's message, Breaking Bad Connections. Anybody watch Breaking Bad? I'm not saying that you should have or advocating it or anything like that, but I'm just wondering. If some of you did, you're not admitting to it. So Breaking Bad, say to your neighbor, you can break bad. You can break bad. So, so we're going to kind of talk about right now about dependencies. And it's all associated with the mental health series and everything that we've done. We're building on the blocks that we've led. But you can break bad. And so in this case, we're talking about bad dependencies, or in some words that we use in, in, in the language we use today, addictions. Okay, and that's not always drugs. That could be food. That could be, it could be love. You could be obsessed with people in an unhealthy way where you think you're codependent. It's an addiction, a love addiction. And so let's go straight to the Scriptures and see what the Scripture says. So in, in, first, uh, in first Corinthians 10, it says, No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, He will always provide a way out so that you can endure it. So it's not that you won't be tempted. It's not that you won't want to depend on, on earthly things, but you, there's always a way out. Therefore, my dear friends, flee from idolatry, or, or in other words, you could say, unhealthy connection, unhealthy bonds, essentially is what that's saying. Next verse, in, in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 6, it says, I have the right, Paul said, I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. So he's kind of talking about uh, food and not being under the law anymore. Uh, and he's saying, listen, I can do anything because I'm not under the curse, not under the curse of the law. I've got freedom, but I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything, meaning I shouldn't be dependent I shouldn't be controlled by some of these things, and it so, it so easily could happen. And we all probably struggle with something, including me. Unhealthy thoughts, unhealthy dependencies, we're all there. And so we just have to be aware of the power that we possess. Next 
verse says, so, so watch this, Matthew, in Matthew 26, it says, watch and pray. What is watching and praying, really? You're connecting and bonding with God, yeah? And, and as you bond with God, He gives you sight, clear sight. He, 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 he takes confusion and makes it clear. He gives you clarity. Uh, and so watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. See, see, so that you become discerning. Oh, I see what's happening here. I, 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 I feel my spirit beginning to attach itself to some of the wrong things. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. The flesh wants to attach itself to, to materials, to, to our ideas, to what we think will make us happy. And, and so this is, this is great stuff. And so some of the things... Uh, we'll put the wall up here. Some of the things that we might find ourselves saying when we have an idea or a belief system uh, connected to an addiction are these. So, so you might say, I don't have the, wa- the willpower to stop. I just don't have what it takes. I'm grumpy if I don't smoke. I'm grumpy if I don't take uh, food or certain kinds of food. I'm, I'm grumpy if I'm not doing this particular dependent thing or with this person or whatever it is. I'm addicted. You might just believe you're, you're straight up addicted. Uh, and that's it, that's dead end. As soon as you believe that, there's no hope. You're not even going to try to overcome. Uh, I, need to deal with, I need this to deal with my stress. Um, it's too hard. It gives me confidence. Listen, I've seen so many people, and they have no confidence without drink. And they've believed that I can't be confident or act the fool and have a bit of fun and let your hair down and, and be weird in a good way. And get on the dance floor. Listen, just come to our New Year's Eve party. I will teach you. I will teach you to die. To, you, know, you know what it really is? You're too scared of what people think. You can change that in a, in a moment. Honestly, you can. I've seen it happen. I remember throwing parties when I was in the States. And listen, I've been out and around the place. And I know what it's like to be in different environments. And, and it was so funny because some of the guys that I would have seen were, were the lads in the bar. I brought them into a a dance party or just kind of a hangout with, with good tunes and beats and, and they looked so awkward in the corner. They were the lads, muscle top, veins popping, chest out, been benching just before they, they went out that night and they looked so awkward. They had no confidence. They didn't, you know what it meant? They actually just didn't have confidence in themselves. Didn't think they were worth, they were too afraid of impressing people and it, it, they were in a jail. Whereas I was sweating on the dance floor, acting the fool because I don't really, at one point I would have cared, but I learned that, listen, people don't really care, and they're actually more, more fun to be around when, when you stop caring. Can I get an amen? amen. And, so, and so we got to start, beliefs contribute to dependencies. If you believe you can't get free, you're right, you won't. And that's why Jesus came, and all he spoke about was, if you believe in me, if you trust in me, why, what's he trying to say? Stop worrying about other people. Other people need you to lead them to freedom because they're not free. And so we're going to talk about addictions and, and dependencies. And, and uh, I want to just pull this little verse up real quick because I think it's important. And, and sometimes Jesus spoke and it was kind of offensive uh, when you think about it. And so the next verse we see in John here, and, and Jesus is coming over to, to a man. It says, Jesus saw a man, and, and he, it said before that he, he was there for 38 years. And he knew he had been ill for a long time, and he asked him. Like, he's been 38 years sitting, waiting 
for what he perceived um, what would be magic or a miracle would happen. And Jesus asked him, do you actually, do, do, do you actually want to get well? Would you actually, surely that's an obvious, that's a bit offensive. What do you think I'm sitting here for? And the first thing he said, I can't, sir. Limiting beliefs, disempowering beliefs, no hope, full stop. He's at a dead end. The sick man said, for I have no one external. No one's doing it for me. No one's fixing me. No one's coming. There's no one just appearing. And there's no angel arriving on the scene just to, I'm just waiting. I'm, I'm kind of, I can't do anything about it. So I'm just sitting here, static, on the ground. No one's putting me into the pool. When the water bubbles up, someone else always gets there ahead of me. That kind of sounds like someone saying, it's not fair. Everyone else always gets the job. Everyone else always gets the love or the likes. It's not fair. And it's interesting, after this, what Jesus done, he didn't say, let's bring you to the jacuzzi. He didn't even talk about the jacuzzi. So I, I, my question is, what, are, what in this society, obviously, it was a company type thing that, that people had believed in, in company in, in, in on the street that, that if you can get to this bubble bath or this jacuzzi that, that you'll be healed somehow. Uh, but Jesus somehow healed him and all he said was get up. So nearly it was as if Jesus was saying everything you have is on the inside of you. Get up. You, I'm not, he didn't even mention the bath, the water. He didn't even say, let's go over to it and see what's happening. He just said, get up, take your mat, walk. What if some of us uh, were just comfortable just sitting in some of our dysfunction, some of our, our stuff that, that you know isn't right, you know it has a hold on you, but, but uh, just waiting for a breakthrough. I'm just waiting for something to just randomly happen. I'm just waiting for somebody to do it for me. What if Jesus would say to you in that situation, it's in you. There's power on the inside of you. But until you believe it, you'll not get up, and you'll not walk, and you'll not get on with your purpose. Some of you have waited way too long. Listen, it might have been six months, a year, 10 years, two decades. Come on, don't leave it another. I'm saying to you in Jesus' name, get up. Walk. Move. Life is too short. God has got too much at stake. Can I get an amen? And so, and so I, want, I want to use that example to set up uh, th this word addiction. It's not in the Bible, by the way. But, but where did it come from? It arrived early 20th century, and it really, it seems to have stemmed from some of the research that scientists have done in regards to, to rats. And so what they done with rats was they put a few rats in a cage. Uh, and when they put the rats in the cage, they, get, they put water, pure water, and then they put water laced with heroin. And they found out that when they put the rat in the cage by itself, it, it would self-destruct by taking the heroin. And it, it seemed like it was addicted. It, it would always choose the heroin over the water. And so they just determined that that must be addictive. It must be an addictive quality within the heroin that destroyed it. And so this was just something that people believed for many years uh, until some scientists started to realize there's something not quite not right. Because why is it if your granny or, or somebody that you know walks in with a broken hip into hospital, they give uh, morphine or what we would call 
diamorphine, which is essentially pure heroin. It's better than the heroin on the street. Why is it that your granny doesn't walk out an addict? And they start to question these things. There's something quite not right about what we believe, because if heroin is truly that addictive, then she should not be able to walk out with no side effects. And so what they started to do was that they said, right, let's do another study on rats before we look at humans, and let's put the rats into what we call rat heaven. And what rat heaven is going to have, it's going to have all these tubes, these wheels, uh, these spinny things, and all kinds of colors, and different rats, and there's just tons of stuff to do. There's tons of things going on, and they put the same bottle of heroin, uh, or water laced with heroin, in the same pure water, and, and the results turned on his head 100%. So in the first study where the rats were isolated, it was 100% death rate. In the second study, where the, where, where the rats were put into a cage or rat heaven, there was 0% of the rats died. So something wasn't quite right. There was something about the rats being isolated, and then on the, in the other cage, they, they were having purpose. They had something to do. They were connecting with more things and more uh, toys and, uh, and more work and, and, and other rats. And so something was it with the connection. So point one I want to make is addiction is about connection. There's something about connection associated with, addi- uh, associated with addiction. And so, well, Phil, that's great. It's a rat. <laughs> We're not rats. Well, actually, they find that... What if we could look at humans in the same uh, respect and they actually realized there actually has already been a test done on humans and it was called the Vietnam War. And actually what happened at the Vietnam War was that 20% of the soldiers from the USA were taking heroin to cope. And they thought, like, this is okay to get them by and to get them through, but what's going to happen when they get back to the streets, to the cities, to the towns in the USA? We're going to have a massive drug problem because we believe in addiction. And it was staggering. The results were, were, were kind of mind-blowing because they found that 95% of the people that arrived back home in the U.S. after experiencing heroin on a regular basis had no problem. They just got back in to life, there was no addiction problem, there was, there was no, it didn't cause any issue whatsoever. And so, and so they started to wonder what is going on, there's really something about belonging, there's something about connection that, 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 that opposes addiction. It's nearly the opposite. Let, let, let me talk to you about this, if you have a phone addiction, right, and you're obsessed over likes and all your Facebook and Instagram fake friends, Here's the reality. If something really bad happens in your life, is a like or a message from an Instagram friend going to cut it? No. You're going to need somebody to show up in the flesh, in, in the flesh and blood. You need a person to come and help. Well, that, that's the same way God has designed and equipped us as people. We're designed not to connect to, to an external social media source. We're, we're designed to connect to people. And another study goes on to say in, in Portugal, they had a massive drug problem there too. And we're, we're 1% of the population were addicted to drugs, as they thought. And so this is what, what's this? This is important. This, you know what they started to do? Like a lot of governments would, and maybe a lot of parents would do to their kids when they were bad 
and they were, their behavior was bad, you know what they'd done? They criminalized them. They said, if you do this, these are the consequences. If you do this, you'll not be allowed a job. You'll be excommunicated from society. You'll be isolated. Rat heaven is no more. Heaven on earth for you or connection with people is no more. And so what they found was it didn't, no matter how hard they find them, no matter how long they jailed them, it didn't fix the problem. It got worse. So they looked at this new research that came about rat heaven and all the kind of uh, interactions with that and the results from that. And they realized, oh my word, what if we try, all the scientists and people who were doing research got together and what if we do something different, extraordinary different? And they said, let's take all of the resources that we put into to, to punishing the people for doing the bad behavior or bad crime, and let's put it into reconnecting them into society. And let's pay 50% to employers and decriminalize drugs so that they can actually integrate back into society. 15 years later, 50% of the drug issues had decreased. Now, this is the interesting thing about this research that I went into. It was actually a TED talk this guy had actually grown up with parents and, and, and a family who were addicts. And this is why he was so passionate. But at the very end of it, this is what he said, and it was very, very interesting. He said, this is why trying to punish people or criminalize people for their wrong behavior is not the answer. What they truly want is to connect to your human heart. What they truly need is to belong. And he says, what they truly need is for somebody, somebody to tell them that I love you, I'm available, I'm here for you. Um, and so number two, the opposite of addiction is not to be sober. It's not to just be sober in a cage, in an empty, isolated area, it's actually to belong. Some of you are dependent on certain things in your life. It's most likely you're dependent on those things because there's an absent, there's an isolation, there's an area in your heart that's empty that you haven't talked about or revealed to anyone and, and you feel isolated. And that was never God's intention. And so I want to bring uh, our very own, I need to say this right, our very own doctor of psychiatry, Pete McMurray. Come on, put our hands together for Pete. And also, Pete um, really took it personal that the church, were, you know, we're trying to reach people and grow the church, and he's added one by having a baby. Uh, so, so they've got a baby on the way, him and Cheryl. So come on, put our hands together for Pete for just... And Cheryl. We should really be giving Cheryl all the praise here, you know, because she's the one taking on the, the burden. Um, but Pete's obviously going to cook double the amount now. But anyhow, I just want to ask Pete, from his perspective, dealing with people with these real-life problems and dependencies and all that kind of stuff, you, you know, what do these people really need? Can the NHS, what, what can you do as the NHS, and what can the church do? And yeah, so I've worked in various different hospital environments across Northern Ireland, own various mental health wards, including an addictions unit. And pretty much every day, I come across patients that are struggling in some way with addictions, be it to alcohol, to drugs. And actually, I know there's a few young people here tonight that probably that isn't an issue for you yet, but just this year, the NHS has also added computer game addictions to the list of addictions. So this is an issue that affects everyone. But the interesting thing with what we do whenever we bring someone into an addictions unit is it's fairly straightforward for us to get them sober. 
we can do a couple of weeks of detox and that's them off whatever it was that they came in with. But then the problem is after that they get discharged, they're going back to the same situation and a lot of them end up bouncing straight back in within a few weeks. And whenever you start talking to them when they're in the, the hospital, what you find out is that a lot of them come in with pain, with hurts, and that's the reason why they're using whatever substance it is, that there's been maybe a childhood wound or there's been something that's gone on later on in their life and that they feel disconnected, that most of them don't tend to get many visitors whenever they're in, that there's not really that family connection, that they're, they're lonely, they're isolated, they don't have that bond or that connection, and that's why they've turned to try and find that from something else. And obviously, we as an NHS, we can get them off whatever their substance is. Sometimes we get them onto a legal medication to keep them off whatever they were using before, and that's not really solving the problem. That's just turning it into something that the NHS is becoming the drug dealer for. But ultimately, we can't address that issue of belonging, that we're just discharging them back into the same situation that they were in before, and ultimately what they're looking for isn't for us to, to cure their addiction. They're looking for us to cure their lack of belonging, their lack of connection. And that's something that obviously the NHS can't address because true community and true fellowships only found in relationship with God. And you can't put that on a prescription pad, unfortunately. But that's what we as a church need to be active in looking out for these people and offering them that hope. And the greater the job we do at it, the easier my day job gets at it. So that's why I'm passionate for Phil to keep preaching this message. So get to work. I'll perhaps get for Pete. I, I, and, you know, this is all well and good if it's just theory, but it's not. The amount of people that I've seen, and even just of recent, um, you know, that we have a guy come in here struggling with all kinds of thoughts, you know, mental health problems, dependency on some of those drugs that the NHS were giving him. And I'm not, it's not, not against the NHS. They're playing their part. But, but his dependency on that, that drug for, for, you know, antidepressants and all that kind of stuff within, honestly, a moment of him giving his life to Jesus because he believed he was a part of God's family, his dependency went straight away. And he's grown from strength to strength. Um, one of our rising leaders, all because he made one decision to come home. That's why do you think we call it welcome home, belong, connect? What, 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 are, what, are, what are our groups called? Connect groups. Listen, one of the most powerful things we can do as a church isn't necessarily just to preach or, or sing worship um, songs. Those, those things are great, and we absolutely need to do them. But listen, one of the best things we can do is to allow people to connect in to the family of God before they're perfect, before their behavior is all polished. Because it's the belonging. That, that is the way God has designed us to our core. And it's, it's, that's how we will grow as a church is by letting people in to connect, to serve, before they even feel ready, but it's doing more for them than they realize. And so I just get excited about that. But as the band come ahead on up, we're gonna finish. Um, so the third, the third point is God has designed us for connection with him and with other people. It says in Mark 12 and 30, it says, love 
the Lord your God with all your heart, with all of your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. The second is love your neighbor as yourself. There's no commandment greater than they see God already knew what we needed. God, God doesn't need our love for his self-esteem. <laughs> you do realize that? It's for us. We, need, we access his love as we love him. We access relationship as we praise and worship him, as we meditate on his day, his word day and night. We access belonging, his love, his power. It changes lives. It still is. It's done for centuries, for thousands of years, but it's still happening today. The answer for this community, the answer for your family, for your friends, the answer for you is to connect with God and with people. It's always been the answer, and it'll always be the answer. It's basic, it's simple, but if we need to, we need to put it into practice. There's power available to you at the sound of one name. And I, I remember watching, uh, actually, Russell Brand. I don't know if he's a believer right now, but he, he struggled with all these things, and I think he actually went on a Christian 12-step program. He was addicted to porn, to drugs, to alcohol, to partying it up, just all the things that we think sometimes that would make us happy, and they didn't. And he came with the conclusion is that as human beings, we're designed to connect to a creator, to something bigger than ourselves. This is not rocket science. This is not new. It's just a part of who we are as human beings. We need this. So as we go ahead and stand... I want to finish with this thought. I think it's so, so important. Is it in the same way in Portugal, criminalizing people who made mistakes or maybe chased answers in the wrong places with drugs and dependencies and all that kind of stuff, that the government realized that if we criminalize them, we remove their opportunity of connection and belonging and overcoming. Jesus, the Bible says that God didn't, sent his son to condemn, to criminalize the world. Because he would have sacrificed the opportunity to connect to us. But he sent his son to pay a price, a debt that we couldn't pay, so that we could connect, so that we could be set free, so that we could belong to Jesus. And when we grasp that, and when people grasp that, then chains do fall and fear does buy. Is that good news? I hope you enjoyed the podcast today. If you did, there's just a few things I'd like you to do. Subscribe to our podcast so the most recent message will always be in your feed. Secondly, if this ministry has impacted you and you'd like to help us continue to reach others, you can go onto our website at oriatchurch.org and give now. And we will see you next time on the Aria Church Podcast.